And one of you have heard of the debate about nature versus nurture. When I was training to be a teacher at university, this is one of the things they got us to think about. What's more important in shaping a person? Is it their nature, their DNA, the genes that are inside them? Or is it their nurture, the experiences that they go through as you grow up? What is more important? What has the bigger impact on who you are, nature or nurture? We have to study this and write essays about it. There's lots of research that's been done into it. Got, I think we've got a uh, slide. Uh, don't have a slide yet. Uh, there's lots of, lots of studies been done on twins because twins, identical twins, have the same genetic makeup. They have a kind of a baseline that enables you to compare and you can you look at people with the same kind of basic nature and see what's the same, what's different about them based on different experiences. Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, what happens is there's no one side or the other, obviously. It's not just genes and it's not just your experience. We're really complicated beings. We're shaped by both those things in a, in a way that you can't just pin down your IQ will be this because of your genes or your IQ will be this because of your educational experiences. You, you, can't, you can't like read people like that. It's complicated. It's a mix. But people are still interested in it and try to, try to work over those things anyway. Well, I'm, I'm asking about this because as, we, as we're looking at this series on the first few chapters of Matthew, we're thinking about Jesus' ancestry about what shapes him and makes him the person that he is, his background, his parents, his descent. We looked at some of these things. And we're going to keep looking at today in chapter 2. But we need to see that more important than Jesus' DNA, more fundamental than his experiences of growing up in a family with Mary and Joseph and his brothers and sisters after him, more important than life in first century, century Palestine in shaping his identity, is something else. What's more important than Jesus' genes? What's more important than Jesus' experience? Well, it's God's word promises that God has made about who he is. We see that already a couple of times in in Matthew as we look at the genealogy in chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. It's not just about kind of looking at Jesus' genetic ancestry, but it's about tying into the promises God's made to the family of Israel and how Jesus is an inheritor and the one who's going to fulfill those promises that God's word tells us about. As we As you read later in chapter 1, we're told explicitly that Jesus' birth from a virgin fulfills the promise made to Isaiah. We're told that Jesus is God with us. That promise in that fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9. And as we keep reading in this passage, we see wise men. Magi from the east, probably 
probably people who are coming from the kind of Babylon, Persia area. Maybe people who have heard about the promises God has made as a kind of legacy of Daniel and Esther and the other Israelites who have lived there. They've heard and they've seen a star and somehow with all their astrological genius, they've figured out that this, is, this means it's time. That God's king, the king of the Jews, has been born. And they, they've searched out. They want to find out about this king. And so they've come. They've followed the star. That hasn't got them very much info. It's kind of got them to the general location. They've gone to the king. They've gone to seek out Herod. What's he got to say about who this king is? Herod doesn't know much. Herod doesn't know much about the king. He's turned to the priests and the teachers of the law. And where do they turn? They turn to God's word. If we want to know about God's promised king, we go to God's word. They've gone to Micah, a prophet, and have a look in verse 6. It says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They turn to God's word and they find out Bethlehem is where this ruler is going to come from. This ruler who's going to lead God's people, who's going to shepherd God's people. Get a little glimpse about what this ruler is going to be like. And as we keep reading through the early chapters of Matthew, again and again, we see that God's word shapes people's expectations of Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 23, we're told that he moved to Nazareth and is fulfilling the prophecy that he's going to be called a Nazarene. In chapter 3, verse 15, we see him beginning his ministry, proclaiming the good news in Galilee, kind of like northern outer suburbs of Israel. And we see again it's fulfilling the promises. This time again in Isaiah. And as we keep reading, Matthew ties in again and again the things Jesus does back to the Old Testament. See, Matthew knows that it's important for us if we want to understand Jesus, to understand him as being shaped by God's word, fulfilling God's word. More important than DNA or the experiences of life in first century Palestine. More important in shaping Jesus is God's word. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because Jesus is the one who is called the word of God. He's the embodiment of God's word, we're told in John. Now, people often have tried to look for alternatives to this. They've gone and tried to seek out Jesus' DNA. I don't know if you recognize this. This is a picture of the Shroud of Turin, which is a bit of cloth that has this image of a man who was wrapped in, in the cloth. It's got his face. It actually has his whole body, his whole body front and back, is wrapped in the cloth. And they've got this image of him. And 
it kind of looks like what we expect Jesus to look like, doesn't it? Kind of a guy with long hair and a beard. Um, and as they look closer, they've, people have I've been able to identify that actually he might have had wounds that could correspond to Jesus, his wounds, that we expect. And not only that, there looks to be kind of blood marks. And that's really exciting for some people because they've, if Jesus' blood is on this, this cloth, then maybe we could extract some of the blood. And maybe we could analyze it and we could map Jesus' genome and we could clone him. Or we could finally, we could see the exact picture of what Jesus was like. If we could access his DNA, that would, that would tell us. We could, we could then finally understand Jesus. Now, there's two problems with this. The first problem is this cloth actually came from the medieval period, not from Jesus' day. And so it's not actually him. That doesn't help us that much. And the second problem is, that understanding Jesus' DNA isn't going to tell us anything more important about Jesus than what God's Word has already told us. What's it going to tell us? That he was like 1.75 meters tall? That he had this particular brown color hair? Now God's Word tells us the important things we need to know about Jesus. Who he is, the ruler, what he came to do, to save his people from their sins. The other alternative is that people try to uncover first century Palestine, the experiences of life in that day, the details of what Jesus would have gone through growing up and living in a hope of getting a clear picture of, of Jesus. People have put great amount of work into this and it's been a little bit more successful than trying to access Jesus' DNA. There is some details of life in first century Palestine that people have brought to light. People have tried to uncover sites that are mentioned in the Bible where Jesus went. Maybe we could find where he was baptized. Maybe we could find where he turned water into wine. Maybe we could find the the tomb that he was buried in. Maybe we could find the stable where Jesus was born. Well, Stables aren't that, uh, aren't that solid constructions. That's probably not going to last 2,000 years. But the idea is, if we can find the sites, if we can find evidence for Jesus being there, for Jesus doing these things, then, then it gets us closer to the picture of who Jesus is. Some people have even taken it to the extent of, of going, if we can't find evidence if we can't get historical, measurable, scientific evidence for what Jesus did, if we can't find another external biblical source, some other witness to Jesus doing the things he did, then, then we, really can't, we really can't say for sure that Jesus did those things. And so things like the miracles that Jesus did, well, we can't find scientific evidence for them, so we might just get our scissors and cut them out of the Bible. We can find, yeah, he, he was a real guy and had a real following. That can stay in there, and he probably taught some stuff. But actually, I don't like some of the things he's taught. He probably didn't say that. that was, that's a bit extreme. That he was going to save people from their sins. Let's get rid of that bit. That's, that's not like him. We'll cut that out. And people whittle down. 
the Jesus of the Bible. In search for the historical Jesus. We can see and prove. The problem is what ends up happening is you end up with a picture of Jesus that doesn't look like what God's word says he's like. You end up with a picture of Jesus that looks like you, the person who's doing the cutting and chopping. Find a picture of Jesus that I'm comfortable with, that accords with what I think's legit. DNA, history, aren't going to give us a more helpful picture of Jesus. The most important details of who Jesus is comes from God's word. We need to understand him as shaped by the promises, by the prophecies of the Old Testament. Now, as we see as we see the Magi and Herod and priests and teachers turning eventually to God's word to find out about Jesus. But then we're then told how they respond. There's one thing to get the information. What do you do with it? Well, there's two examples, isn't there, about how they respond. First of all, the Magi. What do they do? They investigate. They seek out this Jesus. Have a look then at verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They followed the star. They've got the info about where to find him. They come and they find the child Jesus with his mother Mary. What do you reckon they thought at this point? What would they have been confronted with? Let me tell you, looking through the lens of human eyes, it wouldn't have been very impressive. Kids are kids. Jesus probably would have been dirty and messy and running around like any other toddler. The house he would have been living in, Parents weren't rich. It wouldn't have been very impressive. Imagine coming all that way, probably thousands of kilometers. Leaving your life in the east. Search of the king and coming and finding this little kid, Jesus. It would be easy to think, there's got to be some kind of mistake. This isn't very impressive. This isn't king. What do they do? Well, they trust in the promise of God's word. They trust in what they know of this king that's led them to this point. And verse, 10, verse 11 goes on. They saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. They come and they worship him. They give him the respect and honor that is due to this king, and not just human king, but 
the Son of God. They present him with gifts worthy of a king, expensive gifts. The Magi respond to Jesus in accordance with God's word. The alternative we're presented with in this passage is, is Herod. Now, he, he hears the same news about who Jesus is, this ruler who's coming, who's going to shepherd God's people, who's going to be born in Bethlehem. He hears the news, but he isn't so quick to go and worship and recognize his king. In fact, he's threatened. Have a look at verse 7. After he hears the, the news from the priests, from God's word, then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Calls them aside quietly. Let me know what's going on. Doesn't make a big scene, doesn't want to publicly be, be declaring that he's going to go and worship this king. Why? Why is he keeping this to the side? Well, as we keep reading Matthew, in the next section we see his plans. It's not to go and respond to God's king with faith. It's because he's threatened by this king. He wants to oppose this king. Ultimately his plan is to get rid of this king. To try and impose his own agenda. Instead of Letting God's word, the promises and agenda of God's word, shape himself. He tries the other way around. He tries to get rid of baby Jesus, even to the point of slaughtering a whole generation of young boys. You know what? It doesn't work. God's word can't be thwarted by our human plans. We get these two pictures, don't we, of responding responding to Jesus. How have you responded to Jesus? How are you responding to Jesus? Are you seeing what God's word says about him and accepting it, responding in faith? Or are you trying to resist it? Trying to cling on to your own agenda for who Jesus should be. It's a question you have to answer. It's an important question. God's word shapes who Jesus is. You don't get to shape who Jesus is. Last thing I want to mention is that as we think about Jesus, who he is, and we see how important it is to understand him from God's word, as we see God's word describing his identity, showing us who he is and what he does, it's important that we do the same for ourselves. You see, as, as easy as it is to look at ourselves and our kind of genetic history and see traits that we get from our parents or to see the experiences of life that shape us 
and see, I, I do this and I respond in this way because this and this happened to me when I was a child and it's kind of like wired into me now. As easy it is to do that, we need to see ourselves through God's eyes as the most fundamental, as the most determinative part of our identity. The bedrock of who we are needs to be who God says we are. Not who our, what our genes say about us, not what our experiences should say about us, but what God says about us. We need to read his word and see it talking about us. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Is that you? Do you see that? Do you read that in God's word? Do you read Ephesians 1? See, you are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Is that your identity? Do you read in Mark 8 and say, the words of Jesus, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Is that you? Can you say with Paul that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Can you say with him, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some? Are you finding your identity in God's word? This is important all the time, but especially as Christmas comes up, we're confronted with opportunities, with distractions, with things that would see us find our identity elsewhere, can't we? There's materialism just bombarding us, finding our worth, our identity in stuff, Kind of family is particularly held up at Christmas time. It's a time for being with people you love. Is that shaping your identity? Is the desires and the delights of the flesh? Is that shaping your identity at Christmas? Or is God's word shaping your identity? Well, still a couple of weeks, week and a half. How are you going to make sure that God's word is shaping your identity this Christmas? If you want to know who Jesus is, if you want to know what he's on about, you've got to look to God's word. If you want to know who you are, You've got to find the answer in God's Word. It's the most important description of who you are today, who you'll be tomorrow, 
who you're going to be forever. Let me pray for us. Now, Lord God, thank you for speaking to us in your word. Thank you for showing us who Jesus is. Your promised king and saviour, shepherd of your people. Father, please help us to hear your word about Jesus and to respond in faith. To accept who you say Jesus is, not to try and shape Jesus as we want him to be. Father, as we do that, please help us more and more clearly to see ourselves and find our identity in your word. Find ourselves in Christ as his saved people. Father, we pray that you'd help us to live that out, especially this Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.